Playoff time is when things start getting serious on the court. Players are more driven than ever to win these big games and keep advancing. Goodyear knows all about being more driven, too. Working hard to help you advance on and off the road. Let Goodyear.com help you choose what's best. Hello and welcome to the Hoop Collective podcast. We talk about the NBA and today, Andrew, is this a very special edition? Uh, I don't know if it's very special. It's just special. Oh, it's special. Yeah. Well, if you're a loyal listener and you would really have to be loyal... Um, last fall, we had these two fine gentlemen in small sample size theater where we overreacted to, uh, early trends. Well, now we're two thirds of the, I guess three quarters of the way into the season. There's about 20 games left for most teams. So Andrew thought, let's have large sample size theater. And in that same vein, joining us from Toronto, where he is, I assume, working on a piece about the Raptors, Kevin Arnovitz, or are you, are you not able to reveal why you're in Toronto? I'm never able to reveal, but I, but I am actually will be covering tonight's Raptors Celtics game, and uh, very excited about that. And I'm en route to Boston, Massachusetts, where I will be participating in the MIT Sloan Conference and oh. spreading the gospel about shortening the NBA season. Brian, different conversation for a different day. Yes, uh, I'm not outside the lines when I say that you are. Uh, performing a TED, t- I mean, it's not, oh, it's called a Sloan talk or a TED talk. You, yeah, no, I, are, I get the Madonna headset and everything. It's kind of cool. Right. He's, this is the second time he's told me about the Madonna headset. Is that, do you think that's really what it's called? No, Andrew, I'm like living my like 19 year old self's best life. I get to be Madonna for 30 minutes. Is there a giant it's screen? Madonna we're talking about shortening the NBA season. Is there a giant screen behind you that will broadcast you? Right behind you as you move across the the uh, stage, like your Steve Jobs. No, no, there will be a giant screen behind me projecting images of a very sad, poorly attended game in Charlotte, and like various other and stars in street clothes and, and other things that support my cause. I think it would be cooler if it was a video like you, like you were like a rock star. I think it would be cooler too. And joining us in Seattle uh, is the Machine, Kevin Pelton where he's enduring the worst season of Pacific uh, 12 Conference basketball in its history. And, Kevin, will you be going to Sloan as well? I, I will be. I am not on my way there yet. But I wouldn't say I'm enduring. I mean, UW's the one good team and has already clinched a share of the, the conference championships. So Congratulations. Uh, it, it's actually it's, it's working against their, their seeding chances, but uh, I, I wouldn't say enduring. Okay, I'm so sorry. Um, so, the, the uh, Andrew, what is the format that we will be going with today? Uh, well, the simple format is that Mr. Pelton has a series of, I'm assuming, large data sets that he has constructed questions off of. He'll ask them. You and Mr. Arnovitz will discuss. And then Mr. Pelton will, will respond with hard facts. Right. This makes it um, feel a bit too much like I'm the moderator. No, absolutely not. I'll be wrestling that title right back from you. Uh, now that, of course, by the way, is uh, our producer, Andrew Hahn, in Los Angeles. Um, okay, so are you ready, Mr. Pelton? Let's begin yeah, our yeah, large I mean, sample is, size theater. Yeah, I mean, these are just big picture questions about the NBA that we can answer, attempt to answer using the large sample size, which is still, despite being larger than when we last looked at it, far from conclusive. So I, I think the first question... Wait, can I just pause you for a second here? 
this is a pet peeve I have um, uh, with the fine, smart, intelligent uh, society contributors known as the analytics crowd. They always are very careful to say, well, the sample size, the sample size. Let's take a stand and say the sample size is big enough and we're going to come to conclusions for a change. I'm sorry. You're lecturing us about taking a stand, Wendy? Well, it's true. All right, go ahead. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so the first question I think is something that our our buddy Tim Bontemps wrote about on the site today, which is who's the best team in the Eastern Conference and how do, and I'm going to divert from Tim here, the top five teams in the Eastern Conference rank because the Indiana Pacers have shown since Victor Oladipo's injury that they still belong in that group. Well, I'm going to say right now that I have a uh, a column running Wednesday that is at least in part about the Indiana Pacers. I've spent the last several days talking to people in and associated with the Pacers organization. So I have a particular um, insight into it at this exact point in time. But, Kevin, I'm going to yield to you. I just wanted to get that on the record. I'm going to yield to you. Uh, since you are in the East right now, at the site of one of the battles among the top teams in the East, where you see this question being answered? Uh, I've got Milwaukee, and I, I think this is one where the analytics sort of conform to the eye test, right? Like, I mean, analytically, Kevin Pelton, tell me if I'm wrong. I mean, the Milwaukee Bucks have the claim on being the best team in the NBA. Defensive ranking, offensive ranking, I am correct in this saying that they are, if you, if you put, if you redacted the names, and just show the stats of the 30 teams that you would look at this team as being the decisive best team in the league. Am I correct there? Absolutely. And I think, uh, All right. you know, a, a phrase I used a, a few weeks ago before uh, my, my friend Ben Golliver at the Washington Post used it in his uh, headline about the Bucks is they're kind of hiding in plain sight with this great point differential in record. Yeah, and I, you know, one thing I wrote when I wrote about them just before New Year's was that, and I, I know this is a very loaded comparison because, you know, it, it is a huge uh, set of shoes, but but they remind me a little bit of the fourteen fifteen Warriors, and also when you, when you talk about the, just the eye test is, I, I think this is one of those teams where if you're a chemistry person, if you're a hey, it just looks like it works on the floor, and there's just something perhaps intangible, but very fluid about the play. And, and you know, Brian, I know you and I were sort of sitting and watching a late-game situation against Boston last week, and there is, you know, the Bucks still have, I think, like a lot of teams, still have to kind of work out their late-game offense. But I just think when you watch them night in and night out, and I do, there's just something so fluent about the both the offense and the defense, everybody knowing where they're supposed to be. Uh, you know, again, I know this is a defense that is giving up three-point shots, uh, at a rate that get, have some skeptics a little worried, but as our friend Ben Falk wrote, wrote uh, a beautiful piece in Cleaning the Glass the other day, they're also maybe one of the best rim protection teams in recent memory, and that's still where a lot of the league scores its points, except you don't do it against the Milwaukee Bucks. Uh, it just seems to work. There's something about Mike Butenholzer offenses and defenses that just are well choreographed, well ordered, and well disciplined. Now, if you're a naysayer, and there are naysayers out that you can say, well, you know what? This looks a lot like a 60-win Hawks team from 2014-15, not the 2014-15 Golden State Warriors. And as such, expect them to have uh, you know, a beautiful regular season, finish with the first seed, and then can they translate that into what we call playoff basketball? And that's another great I asked debate. Bud about Tell this, him. by the way, overall Tell for the weekend. He, um, he had an answer, but it wasn't really a good answer. 
because, you know, he felt that those Hawks teams petered out due to some injuries and some other things. Um, that the, the one Hawks team specifically that won 60 games and then got swept by LeBron, um, you know, frankly, the answer is there's no LeBron to sweep them this year. So I think that's, you know, if there's, if you're looking for a reason on why this is different, that might be it. But, um, you know, I'm sure, I'm sure, I'm sure it's something he's thought about. The Hawks very rarely had the best player in series. And there is some evidence, I looked at this a few years ago, that teams tend to do better and they tend to be more vulnerable to upsets when they don't have the best player in the series. And in this year's Eastern Conference playoffs, the Bucks are going to have the best player in every series, in Giannis. So that, that, to me, I think is the biggest departure from those Hawks teams. I, I feel like I might be a little bit hot takey on this answer. So, Kevin uh, Pelton, will you give me your opinion on it? So we can clear the decks for me to fire, uh, spit some fire. So, so on the start of this, on the overall question, I mean, yeah, I, I agree. It's the Bucks. I think, you know, I think the fourteen fifteen Warriors comparison that that Kevin made is is interesting and valid from this standpoint. That you know, it, it seems if you go like now in hindsight, knowing what we know about the Warriors, that they were going to win seventy three games the next year. Uh, three of the next four championships after adding Kevin Durant, it seems like, oh, of course it was obvious to everyone that the Warriors were the best team in 14-15 when they won the championship. But it wasn't. The narrative all season in the Western Conference was how, quote, wide open things were in a conference that the Warriors ended up not not crushing in the playoffs that year. They went to uh, six games a couple of times. But, you know, they comfortably ran through that conference, aided in part by some injuries. But uh, it, people just didn't believe what they were seeing from the Warriors until they did it in the playoffs. And I think the Bucks are in kind of a similar situation here where, you know, if, it, if they had the kind of expectations coming into the season that Boston had, then there would be no question in anyone's minds that they're the best team in the East. Okay, so I fully know that what I'm about to say is based more on feel and experience in covering the league than actual data. And so I, I acknowledge that going forward. But as I look at the, at the Eastern Conference this year, the entire thing to me has been about how you handle adversity. The top teams in the East are all loaded with free agents um, to be. Uh, some of them vault more, like there's a bunch of them, or some of them they're very key players. Um, they've all had uh, various challenges during the year. Um, some of them have been injuries. Some of them have been... Uh, trades. Um, some of them have been uh, outside noise. In the case of the Celtics, uh, all three. Um, actually, they haven't done a trade, but um, you know they've been impacted by Aaron Baines and Al Horford injuries. They've been impacted by the Anthony Davis uh, situation, which kind of infected them. They've had Kyrie Irving's, uh, you know, in and out in terms of commitment to the franchise. They've had role definition issues. They have not handled adversity. Well, you look at the Raptors. I think the Raptors have handled adversity well. Uh, they have the Kawhi Leonard thing hanging over their head, and uh, Kyle Lowry has been injured a bunch. And I think that they've almost played half or two thirds of their games without either Lowry or Kawhi because he's been resting or both. And they've been able to keep their head above water. They've had some stumbles. I think the Pacers have done have dealt with adversity beautifully. They have six. Free agents among their top uh, about eight players, eight or nine players, and one of their other guys, Demonis Sabonis, is extension eligible, so he's also kind of playing for a contract. They lost their best player. 
to a season-ending injury that happened live in front of everybody on the court, uh, and yet they have kept their act together. Um, uh, Nate McMillan has gotten his team to buy into their roles in a much different way than uh, Brad Stevens has. In my mind, Brad Stevens, uh, after really having overachieving teams the last couple of years, has had a very big underachieving team this year because he hasn't been able to sell the players into their roles. And then I look at the outlier amongst those, and it's Milwaukee. While they definitely have a lot of um, uh, free agents, I mean, the, the majority of their team is a free agent, uh, coming up, um, they have had a little bit of a charmed season. I believe that they are, have had the fewest uh, man games lost due to injury. At least I know it was that a week ago. I haven't seen the updated numbers. Um, they've generally had a charmed season in that regard. Um, and I think that they've had the least amount of adversity. And the reason I go through all this is that I think when you get to the postseason, the adversity of the regular season many times is wiped away. And so... Um, I give less credence to the order of standing in the East because of – we didn't even mention the Sixers, by the way, who've had two completely team-rocking trades um, in addition to the whole Markel Fultz thing. They've had as much adversity as anybody. Um, I think once you get to the postseason, there's a way that you block things out. And so even though I think Kyrie is all over the map in terms of – the way he approaches things and his attitude, his play is always great, but his his sentiments are all over the map. I am kind of in agreement with him. I think when the when the bottom line comes, I think they have the most talent, and I think they have the finisher. Now, uh, Giannis may prove me to be wrong there. He may prove to me that this is the year where he has the matrix moment, as I call it, uh, and and realizes that he can completely dominate games, um, and he proves to be the hammer amongst all hammers. But right now, the best finisher in the East is Kyrie, and uh, despite everything that you, you guys both said about the Bucks, which I don't dispute any of it, I think when you wipe away the adversity and you focus in, I think the Celtics, even as they sit in fifth place, are the most dangerous team. And I, I hate to filibuster, but that's the way I see it. Okay, this podcast is over. Thank you for listening. <laughs> I really appreciate it. Uh, Pelton, you think I'm out of my mind? I don't think you're out of your mind. I mean, I think, you know, I understand where you're coming from. You've seen this with Cleveland a lot of times where, you know, the, what they've done in the regular season has not really translated into what they've done in the playoffs, where they've been able to lift to another level. Uh, you know, I think, though, still in general, I mean, they, they've not beaten a team as good as this. They've not played a team as good as, you know, LeBron's team's never played a team as good as this. In fact, you know, to go back to Ben Golliver, he also pointed out this the other day in the, the Washington Post newsletter, no LeBron team has ever had a point differential as good as Milwaukee. So, I mean, they're doing really incredible things. And I think that, you know, they can come back from this in the playoffs and be tested by adversity and still be a better team. Because I, I just don't know that the Celtics' talent is that superior without Gordon Hayward playing at this all-star level that we were kind of penciling him back into at the start of the season that he hasn't been able to reach coming back from his injury. Right. And I, w- I would say this. I don't believe in penalizing teams because they've been able to avoid adversity. I mean, being really healthy and durable and young and having a bunch of gumbies on your team who never get hurt is something that helps you in the playoffs. Like, not having the sort of internal strife that has plagued Boston and Philadelphia, and not really Toronto so much, but is is actually something 
that that is not a that is not a detriment. That is, that, that that is something that's very good to take forward into the playoffs. Um, I would never suggest that adversity isn't a good thing for a team to endure, um, as it sort of figures out who it is. But I mean, I, I would not say uh, I'm, I'm going to discount Milwaukee because guess what? They haven't been hurt. And well, I'm not discounting. They haven't that. had I'm a bunch saying, of people arguing about about roles, and they haven't. No, I'm not discounting. Um, I'm just saying that, that's how I explain that they're so far right. out in front. No, because to your point though, Brian, I don't totally yeah. disagree with you either. Like. Boston scares me, right? Like, uh, you know, Kyrie is a shot maker. And while I agree with uh, Pelton that, that Giannis will be the best team in every series he plays, there's something about Kyrie that just as an objective observer that scares the hell out of me because he's just a guy who can make shots in, in late possession games. Now, I was just looking up clutch because I think, Brian, you and I both watched a very rigor mortisy Bucks offense at the end of that Boston game. That, you told us talk about scary? That's scary. But let me tell you, hey, Brian, here's some stats for you. Uh, top four uh, net rating teams in, in clutch. Inside of three minutes, one possession game. Denver, Boston, Golden State, Milwaukee, Indiana. Um, offensively, Boston, Washington, Milwaukee. Like, so are, are you going to believe our lion eyes or, or, or just the facts that Milwaukee actually scores 123 points, <laughs> point two points per 100 possessions inside of three minutes of one possession games? I well, mean, that's, the that's one of the reasons is, why I was very now Boston's impressed. number one, by the way. Right. <laughs> you know what Boston is? Pelton, check this out. 46 minutes of one possession games inside of three minutes, 144 per 100 possession Ooh. for Boston. Well, so savvy. to Brian's point, I, 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 they do scare me. I, I'm with Brian. I both agree. You were right and you were wrong, and you were right again, Brian Windhorst. Um, <laughs> well, I mean, I just, I trust Kyrie Irving, and I think Al Horford is a, my thoughts on Al Horford over the years have obviously been um, polarizing. I don't no, but Brian, life. you know what Rob Mahoney says? You know what our friend Rob Mahoney says? He judges people by, by two things in the world, how they treat weight staff and what their <laughs> opinion is of Al Horford. And well, is- Al Horford, um, he has not risen to the occasion in the playoffs a lot of times, and that is one of the reasons why I have judged him in the past. But on this particular team, um, you know, he is not expected to be the best player as he was in Atlanta, uh, and the role that he plays is incredibly valuable. And if you... To me, in the Celtics played in Milwaukee last week. Kevin and I watched the game at Staples Center. Um, uh, pretty much, you know, the entire fourth quarter we watched Kevin. I'm pretty sure. And watching the way that game played out, I think was very encouraging for the Celtics. Uh, I know that the I know that the Bucks walked away with the victory, but uh, and I thought Al Horford's presence in that game was, you know, I thought his the role he played was huge. Brian, before yes. we uh, go to the next question, we have to stop for commercials on some platforms. But while we do that, can you tell us about all of those uh, Eastern Conference executives that were upset about not drafting Giannis? He tried to stash him at his house. He tried not to let him leave his house. But um, the medicals got to the Bucks anyway. And we're back. Pelton, what's the next uh, item up for bid? Who's the second best team in the Western Conference? Is there a case for the Rockets? And can anyone challenge the Golden State Warriors in the West playoffs this year? Okay, I'll start here. Um, uh, By the way, uh, I've been advised uh, several times I've 
referred to the to the coach of the of the Denver Nuggets as Mike Malone. I've known him for a long time. I've called him Mike, but he prefers to be known as Michael. So all the Mike Malones I've ever said, I take back, and I will call him Michael Malone. Uh, he also has a vicious pull-up jumper in traffic. Which uh, did you guys see that on uh, Twitter this last week? That, that was impressive. Playing. Did you see that, uh, Arnovitz? No, I did not. I missed this. Oh yeah, very sizzling there was just, video. What? There was a clip from um, just a little run they were having at uh, at practice, and uh, Malone um, was playing pickup, and he just he just he was giving it to Jamal Murray, just all kinds of action. <laughs> um, That's it was cool. terrific. I mean, um, just I, I kind of like old people giving it to young people because um, yeah, I mean, and if you if you watch out. it. He has like a a, a, a giddy up. This is my Diane Feinstein rule. I like young people giving it to young old people giving it to young people. Well, wow! You, so that was the uh, that was the side you came down on on that video. Oh yeah, yeah. She was she, my favorite part of that video. By the way, we're not going to talk politics, but um, <laughs> well, when you get older, you could run for senator. I thought that was a uh, uh, pretty interesting smack talk. Uh, as much as I respect everything that the Nuggets and Michael Malone have done. Um, at the end of the day, I just don't know if they're going to be able to defend uh, well enough to win at the highest level. And I, I could be proven wrong. I don't feel great about this position. Also, their best player is a defensive liability. And it's just hard in the playoffs when your best player is a defensive liability. And so I am not yet ready to embrace them uh, even as I praise them for everything that they've done. I, I think you could sell me on the Thunder because they have you know, so many of the aspects that you need to be successful in the playoffs. They can play great defense. Um, they can really rebound, and they have multiple scoring options. They've gotten better at shooting. Um, but Westbrook is having such a bad and low efficiency scoring season that I just feel like that's going to show up. And guys, my big takeaway from that game the other night, and I don't know if you have an opinion on this, Mr. Arnovitz, I couldn't believe how good Chris Paul looked physically mm-hmm. in that game. Um, I know that everybody was angry about the officiating. This is last Thursday at Staples. Chris Paul, who has worked very hard in the wake of that hamstring injury to get in shape, he he didn't, um, you know, during the, he didn't play in the All Star weekend, but he spent the All Star break um, working out a lot. And granted, he may get run down again, but I still think the second most dangerous team is the Rockets. I uh, I know that their defense isn't the same, but Daryl Morey has done a really good job of of cobbling together that roster. And Capella, Harden, and Chris Paul are a functional and dangerous triumvirate. Do I think they're good enough to win four out of seven against the Warriors? I do not, but I still see them as the second most dangerous team. Uh, feel free to disagree, Kevin Arnovitz. Uh, I mean, I, I, I like Oklahoma City marginally more just because they've, they've sort of figured out how to have a, a, a fairly efficient offense, and I, I just trust them defensively. Uh, there's a level of trust. We talk about late-game offenses, and, and to me there's also... You know how much can I trust a defense, and and I just love what the Thunder run defensively right now. I, I think Paul George is legitimate. You know, to me, he sort of has supplanted Kawhi in the 
who's the best wing defender in the league right now. Sort of the, um, depending on where you put Giannis, who I also think is in that conversation, though Giannis is kind of a essentially a four at this point, which is essentially a perimeter position. So that's confusing. But but I, I just you know it'll be very interesting actually because Brian, I don't think a three six Thunder Rockets matchup is out of the, is out out of question. I mean Portland continues to win road games this week. Um, Utah. I think still projects to be a 4-5. I mean, if Houston finishes at 6, that's going to be a really interesting second-round series. All the more reason why I think if you're the Thunder, you want to finish with the 2. We talk about everybody wants to avoid the 8 and finish at 7. I think finishing 2 and not 3 you know, keeps you out of a potential really difficult series with Houston. Um, I don't disagree. I mean, I, I would put the Thunder slightly above Rockets in the who do I fear if I'm if I'm the Warriors, but then again, you might have a point in the sense that the Warriors, for whatever reason, and I don't know if there is a specific reason, I'd be curious, Pelton, what you think. Like, is there a reason the Rockets, quote, play the Warriors better than anybody else? Or is this just sort of, you know, essentially a coincidence, small sample size theater? I think this season it probably is. I mean, I think last season the reason was obvious. Like, the Rockets were the second best team in the league, so of course they gave the Warriors a lot of trouble and, and were designed to play against Golden State with the ability to, you know, switch everything and, yeah. and force the game into kind of an isolation style that works against what the Warriors would ideally like to play and, and frustrated them at times in last year's series. I mean, they can still do that. I don't think they can do that as effectively because the, the caliber of switch defenders they have just isn't the same. But, yeah, I mean, I think, you know, to go back to the original point, uh, Chris Paul, since the All-Star break, 22 points a game, 11 assists per game, 49% from the field, 46% from three, 67% true shooting. Uh, I, I think, you know, I, I think to some extent, you know, we were probably reading too much into his shooting slump early in the season before the injury. Uh, one thing I talked about before he had went down with that, that injury was the shot quality was, if, if you look at the second spectrum tracking data that we have access to, was basically the same as last season. It was just his shot making that was way down. And shot making tends to, to regress to the mean a lot more than shot quality does. So I'm not totally surprised that we're seeing this from Chris Paul. Uh, that said, though, I think I'm, I'm still with Kevin that I, I think the toughest matchup for the Warriors is probably still going to be Oklahoma City with the, the kind of size and, and athleticism that they can throw out there on the perimeter. It's pretty ideally suited to match you up with the Warriors defensively. Whether they can score against Golden State enough to win a series, I, I, I think, is a fair and valid question because of the Westbrook issues that Brian mentioned. But, you know, I'd give him a better chance of getting hot in the seven-game series and, and somehow pushing the Warriors than the Rockets being able to uh, to keep up their regular season success against the Warriors over Two a seven-game series. Two uh, things. I felt the game winner that Paul George hit against Utah last week where – how how high was that floater? Was it 18 feet in the air? <laughs> uh, it was one of the most breathtaking game winners I've ever seen. And in terms of difficulty, way more difficult than hitting a, a 37-footer that's wide open, in my mind. Uh, I mean, what do you think the chances of that shot going in, splitting a defender, having to throw it so high to go over Gobert... I thought that was a never absolute. really achieving any balance except kind of sort of in the air. I mean, that was what was so mentioned is the body control on that shot. The second thing is um, the reason I felt that the Rockets lost that game in L.A. the other night was because P.J. Tucker was open in the corner like four times and had wide open looks and missed them. And I thought if he just made even one or two of them would have made a big difference instead of them about Scott Foster. 
And then I looked at Kurt Goldsberry put out one of his maps yesterday at who was the worst shooter in the corner. And in the left corner, P.J. Tucker, he had some sort of control number. He had to have a certain amount of attempts. P.J. Tucker's like the worst in the league from the left corner. Um, now, he made he was missing these from the right corner, but um, that's that was concerning to me. He said, you know, you need P.J. Tucker to hit corner threes. And, um, but, uh, okay, uh, Pelton, what's next? Uh, will the Lakers make the playoffs? Well, this is a particularly apt time to ask it because they have just um, gone right down the side of their leg uh, on this road trip to New Orleans and Memphis. Uh, I know Memphis wouldn't say this, but I posit that they were trying to tank that game last night playing uh, Bruno... How do you pronounce Bruno's last name? Caboclo. They were playing Bruno Caboclo, Chandler Parsons, and and, uh, Joachim Noah... Huge minutes down the stretch of that game. Wait, but Brian, I, I thought they wanted to they wanted to convey the pick this year. That's what they say, Kevin. But I'm judging them on their actions, and that is not a lineup that conveys wanting to win. <laughs> now, granted, um, Mike Conley played brilliantly, and he was the reason they won the game. But I am judging. I judge tankers on their actions, not their words. I'll say the same thing about the Mavericks. They say they're fine with giving their pick. I'm watching their actions, and I am not seeing the same thing. But a uh, terrible loss for the Lakers last night, and it's now the first time I have begun to think that they're. I really have begun to think they're not going to make it. I have, you know, Pelton. How many? How many wins do you think will be needed to make the playoffs in the Western Conference? So 538 has San Antonio and the Clippers both projected to win 44 on average uh, in practice because of the fact that, you know, someone else could rise up. I think you probably need a little bit more than that. So I I think probably 45 is about the number right now. Okay, so the Lakers are 29 and 31. By the way, at the beginning of the season, we did not think 45 wins would get you in. We were thinking maybe 47, 48. Uh, the, the Nuggets missed at 48 last year. Am I correct? Or f- yeah, I mean, I think the bottom f- of the West playoff race has proven softer than we expected. Right. So the Lakers are even getting a – it's even been easier than we would have projected at the start of the season. Um, so, okay. The Lakers are 29-31. and 31. They've played 60 games. For them to get to – we'll just – Kevin, we'll just give them 44. We'll just – we'll give them another – We'll kick the ball in the fairway for him and say 44 gets him in. Um, that's 15-7. and seven. I want to point out, this is a team that this season is 23-19 and 19 when LeBron James plays. It's not like they're 30-8, and eight, and boy, if he had just you know played every game that they'd be in third place. Um, they are 23-19 and 19 when he plays. So now you are asking them, and I believe they have a top seven or eight toughest schedule. And so San Antonio is 33-29. and 29. They are in eighth place. They're coming off a one-in-seven rodeo road trip. But I believe they have a top three easiest schedule the rest of the way. So, you know, we're, we're projecting them out to... They've got 22 games left, I think. Even if we say they go 11-11, and 11, which I don't think they will, they would need to go 11 and 11 to be to have 44 wins. 
So even if even if I mean we're throwing the Lakers a bone and a half here, they'd still have to go fifteen and seven to get to forty four wins. Kevin Arnovitz, as big of a believer as I am in LeBron, um, you're asking them a team that's twelve and nineteen on the road. Um, I don't know, man. Yeah, I mean, I, I watched the game last night, uh, at least the, the, the fourth quarter, and, and I'm with you. This th- that was the moment last night because I've been sort of I've been in your camp that. Look, LeBron is the is the prodigy who can do his term paper the night before, and and but it's getting late, man. Like like it, it's now one in the morning, and right. at some point you have to crack it open. And I you know I look at this team. Look, their final three games are going to be at Clippers, which is home, Utah, Portland. My assumption is Brian, those are three teams that are going to be playing. You know, looking down the stretch at those games is always a little deceptive. Like you get Golden State the last week of the season, you're thinking, oh. But often it can be a it can be an advantage because their their seating is set, but there's right. not a lot of settling in the eastern in the western conference playoff picture. Even Golden State right now, you know, Denver's within shouting distance. So I'm looking at that schedule, Brian. You got two games left with Milwaukee, home and home. You still got at Toronto. You still got home Boston, home Denver. You've got you know home SAC, which is no longer a gimme. You still have an away game Sac's at playing, Oklahoma that's a- City. That's a vital game for SAC. They're in ninth. Yeah. I mean, that is, that's essentially their most important game in franchise history in 12 years. You've got still at Utah, um, which is, by the way, a second night of a back-to-back coming from Los that's Angeles, flying to Salt Lake, losing that's a an loss. hour loss. in altitude. That's a scheduling loss. So I'm just looking at your, what do you need to do? They need to win two out of every three games, you're saying. Um, i got to tell you, it's going. this will be one of the great accomplishments of LeBron's career. I, I mean, I know it sounds a little bit melodramatic for a guy who's you know, been in eight finals, but if you're going to, I mean, this is as tough as anything that he's encountered and, there. And Pelton, like, this is all to get to the eighth seed. Like, yeah, <laughs> I mean, which, what it, it buys them five extra games at most, in my opinion. Um, if you really want to do anything, you've got to get to seven, and granted, seven and eight are not really that separate right now, but... Um, if they get to seven, okay. Now, I'm not saying I would favor them over the Nuggets, but I can see a path for them over the Nuggets as opposed to the Warriors. Like, we're talking, you know, we're drawing elaborate maps for them to get to eight. This is, I mean, the conversation, I mean, and again, this is eight, this is 44 wins in a year when we thought 44 wins would not get you in. So, um, for all the complaints about that the Lakers have made about, if I hear LeBron complain about the suspensions one more time, guys, the suspensions were in October. It was a couple of games. Like he still mentions those suspensions as reasons why they've struggled. But for all their complaints about injuries, they've had advantages that we didn't expect them to have. So Pelton, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, I think I'm on the exact same page with you. I think San Antonio is going to be very difficult to catch. They have 20 games left, so that would be 11 and 9 for oh, them to get to 44. But, uh, and their schedule is not okay. quite as easy. It's uh, uh, BPI, Basketball Power Index, ranks as the sixth easiest schedule the rest of the way. The Lakers are at 27th. But the other factor we didn't mention is San Antonio has already won the season series 3-1. They have oh, the head-to-head tiebreaker. Yeah. That's an extra so, game right there. So, so I don't think got, they're. I don't think the Lakers are catching the Spurs. I don't. I think if they're going to catch anyone, it's got to be the Clippers. And the advantage that they do have that we haven't mentioned is there are two games left with the Clippers, uh, including one of them next week that is technically a home game for the Lakers at Staples. 
I think the only path for them is they probably have to sweep those two games against the Clippers if they're going to make up this ground. Well, let's take a look at the Clippers' schedule. So they've got they've got games against the Knicks, Bulls. They've got and Cavs. two games against the Knicks. Two games against the Knicks, Bulls, and Cavs left. Uh, that is not so good. Um, and Grizzlies. Wow. And they do play... Wow, you're right. They have both home and home against Cleveland, home and home against the Knicks. They've got home Chicago. Oh, boy. They've got home Memphis. I mean, there's some tough games and there, Brian, but they, this is... They, they do play against the Warriors again, but it's in the last week of the season... Right, it's the second-to-last game of the season. It's you the second-to-last game of the season. I mean, who knows who the Warriors are going to play in that game. And, boy, yeah. they they play, oh, Kevin, they play five of their last six at home. The only road game. Yeah, they don't leave the they, state of California oh, for the last man. two weeks of the season. This is... <laughs> this is brutal, Laker fans. This is just not lining up at all. I mean, the other aspect of it is it's just the number of teams that are in the mix now. So the Lakers not only have to catch the Clippers or the Spurs, they also have to pass Sacramento, who's ahead of them in the standings. Hey, and let me, and I'm going to say it right sudden, here, guys. The Minnesota Timberwolves are going to be a factor in this conversation. Yeah. I'm telling it right now. I'm nice calling win. it. We're going to be having this conversation in two and a half weeks. The Wolves with the shackles. Of, of, of Thibodeau gone or playing joyfully. They have had a lot of home games in the last three weeks of the season. I'm telling you, we are going to be having a conversation about the Wolves in this thing. They're at Atlanta on Wednesday. I mean, I'm telling you, the, the Wolves will have something to say, Brian Windhorst. They will not have to plow the streets of Minneapolis because huh. fans are going to rise up in joy as they watch their young Timberwolves. <laughs> After a two a season of lost expectations, and they are going to rise, and it is going to be beautiful. Well, until this last, the last couple of weeks leading into the All Star break, they had not been playing well. They had actually been performing slightly worse under Ryan Saunders and Tom Thibodeau. Um, but they've rallied recently. I think they've kind of had some favorable scheduling. They, they've also gotten healthy. They had Teague was out of the lineup for a long period of time. Derrick Rose. They had kind of an injury cascade at Covington. Those two guys you know, and Covington also. Cubs yeah. the guy yeah, they really. By the way, Cub can come back. I got to tell you, yeah. um, that that to me is huge if he can get back. Um, Pelton, we're all going thumbs down the Lakers. I, that's a turn for me in the last forty-eight hours. This this road trip plus looking at the other teams, I just I now don't see it. Um, all right, next up on large sample size theater. Well, let's segue directly into this question. Is LeBron James still the best player in the NBA? Part of it. I mean, and I'm, and I'm, not, I'm not fudging here. I mean, is the definition one guy, one game? I mean, that, that's always my question. If you're talking about one guy, one game, I'll still take LeBron. By sheer experience, basketball IQ, um, there's just a body of work there that, you know, are you telling me who the best player is over an 82-game season? No, he's not the best player. Um, I, I mean, I, I think I have Giannis Antetokounmpo right now, with James Harden a close second, but um, but I would still take LeBron in one game. Maybe let's just, say 
say one playoff run, that whole Draymond thing about there are 82 game players and 16 game players, because I think probably durability has to be to some extent a factor here, but right. it shouldn't be the durability of the full regular season as we answer this question. Hmm. Well, For a playoff run, it becomes very close. I mean, that, that's six, so 16 games. Do I take Giannis or I take LeBron? Well, it's usually a I lot probably more than take 16. LeBron in this sense. Again, Giannis does not yet have the requisite experience. I, I suspect that will change. I suspect if you ask me this question on February 26th of 2020, the answer would be Giannis Antetokounmpo. Right now, for a 16-game run, I still have LeBron James. Again, with days off in between. With You, you get done with your business early, you get a four or five days. Um, endurance in some ways actually becomes, the playoffs actually favors the older guy. But um, for 16 games in 1919, I still have LeBron. I expect him to vacate that to Giannis very soon. I'm going to go back to the mistake that I made about 2009-10, thinking that Tim Duncan was done. Um, and here he was holding up. They probably should have won back-to-back titles, but Ray Allen stole it from him. Um, and then LeBron dropped the hammer in Game 7. Uh, he probably should have won two more titles, but he did win one more. And... Um, I am not. If I'm going to err on LeBron, I will err being uh, too late to admit. Uh, I am not going to take. I am not going to be too early. Uh, I think when you look at him right now, I think he's. I think he's. All, I think he's got a couple of things working against him. One, I don't think he's in the shape that he is typically in or wants to be in, and I think he's finding it difficult to get into it uh, because he's coming off of an injury that he's never had before. And I think he's having motivational issues. When he was talking the other day um, in New Orleans after the game about, uh, I don't remember what the exact quote is, I don't want to misquote him, but he was basically saying, you know, he was talking about motivation. Um, People thought he was talking about his teammates. I wondered if he was talking about himself, um, whether he's struggling with motivation um, because he's looking at this situation the same way all of us are and going, man... I just don't know if there's a way. And so I, I think, <clears throat> I don't know if he's smelling a real opportunity with this team to where he will go all in. And I know that you're supposed to go all in no matter what, but that's just not LeBron. LeBron will uh, pick and choose his spots at this point in his career. And so I think if you look at the way he's played really since he got hurt, uh, you could certainly make a case that he is not that guy anymore. But I think think that it's a mistake to write him off and we may not get the evidence this year but he's got time left and he's not 37 he's 34 um he's still got i think a lot left he may not be able to do it at the same level and for the same amount of uh, of time during a season as he did when he was 30 or even 32 but i still i still believe it's in there i still believe that he has the ability to take over games and win them, take over playoff series and win them. Well, just last year, he had maybe the most impressive playoff run of his career. Um, and it wasn't three years ago, it was just last year. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stick with LeBron, even though I know that it's open for criticism at this point, Pelton. Yeah, I mean, I think the fact that it, the, the, the main takeaway here is the fact that it's a question at all. And 
you know, obviously the injury is a big factor of that, but that's also part of getting older is that you be, tend to become more susceptible to injuries. Durability is more difficult. But uh, I, I think, you know, I, I subscribe probably to the Bill Simmons theory that you kind of have to take that, that belt from someone else who holds it. And I don't know that I would say that anyone else has taken that belt yet. Until Giannis does it in an extended playoff run, until James Harden proves that he can be as effective in the playoffs as he is in the regular season, then I, I think you probably do still have to give the nod to LeBron. Are you have anything else on your list? We have a large sample right. size here. Well, this was submitted by Andrew Hahn. Is Kawhi oh. Leonard still a top five player in the league? We'll go to the man in Toronto, Kevin Arnovitz. Um, I, you know, I, I, it's, it, first of all, it's very hard with the body of work. Given that he's he's, you know, I, I, load management is has been such a big theme of the season. Um, I don't think he's top five, and I, I don't even think that's a slight against him. If you look at his sort of two seasons preceding last one, and just what, what, what got him in the conversation of top five, and we were talking about, you know, true shooting percentage greater than than sixty percent, you know, based on you know his really efficient shooting. We're talking about. Um, you know, playmaking uh, that uh, you know transcended anything we saw early in his career. Um, just the defensive side of the ball, I think. Um, I, I think Kawhi. Look, you see him grab the ball away from Demar Derozan. There's still moments of transcendence. I don't think possession in, possession out. And look, I think part of that. I don't think that's even a lack of effort. I think part of that is the scheme was just so well structured in San Antonio, and it's not, and I don't mean that it's not in Toronto necessarily, just to take some time of acclimation. I mean, there's there's something about the seamlessness with growing up in the Spurs organization, learning it as a younger mid-first-round draft pick, and then just graduating into it. And I do think that would take some time. So, I just think he's not a top-five player right now. I don't think that is even a controversial statement, and I don't even think it's an insult or a slight on his performance or effort. I, I, I just think it's, it's, it's the fair facts. And, you know, Pelton, when we look at sort of you know, whether we're talking about wind shares for 48 or, or defensive wind shares and VORP, I think, I think there's nothing, what I'm saying is pretty much conforms to those stats, does it not? It does, yeah. I mean, again, you know, the, the value stats, the, uh, the, the not ones that are not per minute are going to really reflect the time he's missed. I mean, I think, you know, part of the question here is the difficulty of identifying a top five player. Like, that's kind of an arbitrary cutoff. I still think he's probably in that. Uh, maybe the third tier of players that probably runs from something like five to 10 or, you know, I don't know where exactly you draw those lines, but that is now probably a larger group with the addition of Paul George. Um, I, I think if you're going to make the case for Kawhi, he's still been incredibly good in late game situations, getting the Raptors a bucket when they've needed it. Uh, he's using 39% of their situations in the broader uh, NBA.com slash stats definition of clutch, which is uh, within five points last five minutes and has a 586 true shooting percentage in those periods. So, you know, their offense has really been Kawhi centric. I guess, you know, to go back to the Raptors in general, though, I, I still feel every time I watch them, it feels like there's something off with the Raptors. Do you, do you get that sense, Kevin? Yeah, but I, you know, I, I do get that sense. And part of me is like, wait a minute, you know, I, I I feel like so much of my time watching the Raptors this season has been either without Kawhi, uh, Kyle still kind of recovering, back issues, etc. Um, guys in and out of the rotation, pre-Gasol, post-Gasol. Like I don't. Part of it is, is I, I don't know yet who the Raptors are. 
you know, they're just been, and, and, and I don't, again, that's not a slight. I think they did very well at the deadline. I would never begrudge them getting Marcus Gasol. That's a wonderful pickup and a wonderful addition. He actually, in a team that otherwise struggled on Sunday afternoon in a loss against Orlando without Kawhi, Mark looked like his old self. It was really great to see they, they put him in the starting lineup. So with me, and what I'm hoping to see tonight is possibly one of the first, you know, as, as Gasol started, starts integrating, you know, tonight I feel like, wow, this might be my first chance at seeing playoff Toronto. Because the truth of the matter is, is I agree with you, but then I kind of always go back, well, what exactly am I watching? You know, has this team had sufficient time to sort of sculpt an understanding of who they are based on personnel, given that the personnel is just constantly changing? And again, that's no slight on on effort or management or anything else. It's just a fact, which is we have not seen their five best players who are going to take the floor at the end of a very close game in early May. We have not. We don't know who those guys are, and we have not seen them play together. And if we do even know who they are, chances are they haven't played fifty minutes together. So, so it is a little you, off. Uh, but yeah, Kevin, you mentioned playmaking with with regards to Kawhi. I was talking to someone the other day, and I don't want to give their uh, opinion attached to them. Maybe they didn't want it out there, but that was one of the things that they said really was laid bare a little mm-hmm. bit this season. That Kawhi has not been as much of a playmaker as you'd like to see from a guy in that role. Um, and I don't know if that's a, uh, whether he can't do it, whether it's uh, the changing nature of uh, the way the Raptors play versus the way that the uh, Spurs play, where it was much more of a collective. Uh, the plays were made by five guys working together as opposed to one guy you know, making just talent-based plays. Um, he's a little bit lacking there. And when you're... Talking about the highest level players, you want sort of all the tools in the toolbox. And he's continued to be a terrific shooter from all places, free throw line, inside the three-point line, outside the three-point line. Continued to be a, a you know, dynamic um, defensive player. Um, you know, this is one of the things I always say about Anthony Davis as well. As great of a player as he is, um, you know, his teams have struggled at times over the years um, because he isn't the playmaker. Now, that's not who he is. That's not his position on the team, mostly. But um, it's not something that should be discounted. Um, you know, I feel like the Raptors have walked on eggshells all year with Kawhi. Um, after, you know, the you know not being sensitive to how he was being taken care of was the catalyst for his um, reason to leave. Uh, San Antonio, it was almost like the Raptors said, well, look, if he wants to leave because it's cold here or he wants to leave because um, he wants to be at home or he wants to leave because he, you know, doesn't like uh, his teammates or whatever. okay, but he is not going to leave because we did not we were not cautious with him and did not take care of his body. Uh, They are they were going to remove that as a reason. And as a result, it's been very choppy, as you mentioned, uh, Arnovitz, and um, I don't know how that affects the way we look at him, but I do feel like that missing playmaking is something I've noticed more this year than I would have noticed in San Antonio. And I don't know um, how that ranks or how you account for that, but I do feel it. And maybe with that team where you have Kyle Lowry, who's a playmaker, maybe it's not as required, but I do feel like we'll see that show up in the in the playoffs that um you know and but he's made some he's made some big plays to help them win games i don't want to say that yeah. he hasn't you know he's no, it, he's closed games for them they're, they're, actually it's one of the reasons i'm so excited to see them in the playoffs i mean this is truly 
they, they are sort of a mystery guess, and I think the ceiling is really, really high. I mean, what mm-hmm. if the answer is, let me play optimist here, guys. You know, actually, Kawhi has all the properties that he always had in San Antonio. This lack of playmaking is a result of just not, not so much, I would say, trust, not in the he mistrusts teammates so much as it takes a while to sort of establish. Like, oh, oh, Patty's going to be over there. You know, he, he he's going to be running that sort of that, that, that fade to the corner where he always runs when I go over here. I mean, there's this choreography in San Antonio that becomes so intuitive that doesn't exist there yet. But, like, what happens if it's the playoffs? Kyle's healthy. Again, two, three games, at least one or two or three days between games. You know, Ananobi's in there. I mean, like, everybody's well, healthy, deep as hell, that team. So many different looks. Two bigs who can, you know, play make and work out of the high post. I love their roster. I, love I mean, you roster. love their roster, right, guys? I mean, and, and you know, hey, Kawhi's playing every game. There's none of this, oh, is he in, is he out, walking on eggshells. Like, we've got a plan. The plan is you're going to play in every playoff game, you know. And, you know, we take care of business early against, you know, whoever it is, Charlotte, Detroit, whoever, you know, a week off. Like, like what if everything we know about that roster is actualized and and... I mean, that's a ridiculously talented team. Pelton, what is the ceiling? Give me, give me the Pelton variance of the Toronto Raptors. I mean, what is the best version of... Is it possible the best version of the, of the Raptors, Kevin, looks kind of like as good as Milwaukee? I think so, yeah. I mean, you know, I think they, they were my favorite team in the East coming into this season before we had seen what Milwaukee could really do. And they were the team whose chances I like the best against the Warriors because of the fact that they have this fleet of wing defenders that they can throw at Golden State. Plus, they're all guys who can shoot the ball, you know, at least reasonably well. OG Anunoby has maybe had a little bit of a disappointing season in that regard. But Danny Green has been his usual terrific self and a, a big factor in, you know, why San Antonio hasn't been the same defensively. Obviously, Kawhi. Uh, you know, so you throw those three guys out there, plus Kyle Lowry and, you know, whether it's Marcus Soule, Serge Ibaka, or Pascal Siakam in the middle, depending on the matchups. I mean, that's, that's a really, really interesting lineup come playoff time. So yeah, I don't think that that's gone, but, you know, the, the question is, we asked about the Lakers running out of time to figure, you know, to get the wins necessary. Do the Raptors at some point just run out of time, run out of time to figure things out ahead of when they need to have everything figured out? Well, it's going to be that second, second round. round of the playoffs. Yeah. yeah, the second round of the playoffs is when it's going to come. Um, do you have a one last one, Pelton, that we could do quick? That that was the all I had on my list. I don't know if anyone else has anything. Um, Mr. Arnovitz? Uh let me see. I'm, I'm kind of looking uh, at the. Uh... All right, I, I, mean, I, I, I have I, one. I, yeah, because there's about one. Who, um, this is more of an opinion. Who is our coach of the year? Okay. So, to me, assuming that Milwaukee continues here, we throw Bud as an automatic in the, in the, in the top three. Then I think there are three spots for two guys on our ballots. Um, I think those three guys are Michael Malone. Kenny Atkinson in Brooklyn, who's got a 32 and 30 Nets team, and you know you go look at that roster. And though he is embattled this week, um, I think Dave Yeager with a Sacramento King team that was predicted to win. What was the over under, Pelton? What was the projection? Uh, well, they've already hit it. I know that much. It was oh, like, God, in, I think yeah, it was like low high 20s. teens, low 20s, right? And this oh, I think it was like 18 or 19 in some places. Yeah, I mean it's, I mean, enough said, right? And so to me, I mean, I think you give it to Bud. Because of just, I mean, look what's going on and everything that Pelton talked about earlier in this session. But I, I just think that, like, 
Maloneyager and Atkinson have good claims on just doing incredible work. By the way, I know, and I would call me a homer. You know, I think what Lloyd Pierce done in Atlanta deserves commendation. I don't think he's in the conversation, but I just think he's a, he's a coach who has, you know, the, the worm is turning there. It's not nearly as bad. In fact, I think there are probably some in the organization who worse, wishes it was a little worse in Atlanta. Trey Young with a classic performance last night in, in, in Houston. I know they lost, but he hit eight threes or something. Yeah, um, eight for 12. Uh, Nate McMillan. Oh, uh, Nate. Uh, by the way, Nate was number two last year on my ballot. Um, that's kind of why uh, I like... Uh, yeah, Nate, Nate's got to be in the conversation, too. I, I so, again, I spent the last few days studying the Pacers. Now, they're in third place right now, which is a miracle. And I think one of the things that's been remarkable, again, if you watch them play, uh, they've played 61 games. They lost last night to Detroit, but they're 8-2 and two this month. Um, they've played 62 games or 61 games. They've had 52 times where they've had five-plus guys in double figures. Um it's a very share-the-ball, democratic uh, offense, which, okay, that's fine. But when you've got so many guys who are worried about free agency uh, and getting paid and a couple of spots where they're extra deep, their big man rotation, their point guard rotation, all those guys are worried about getting paid and they have been able to handle it, I think that goes back to the coach. So. I don't know if he's winning. The other thing is they've got a their their the last two weeks of March. They have a brutal schedule. They go west and play all the tough teams, and then they have uh, the Celtics and Sixers, and they may even have two games with the Celtics. I'm not saying they're holding on to three. I I, I still think there's a a decent chance they're going to slide, maybe. But you know, they've got a pretty decent lead on Boston. Um, for five, let me see where it's at right now. Um, I think two and a half games, and it's the same situation where they do have two games left against Boston. I think similar to right. that Lakers Clippers situation where the Celtics, you know, probably need to sweep those two games if they're going to have yeah. a good chance. I mean, right now, the Celtics seventy Celtics seventy sixers would be a first round series. Um, like Which, I said, I do oh, not what, project. Did... I do not project the uh, with that March schedule. I do not project the Pacers to hold on to number three. It'll be really interesting to me whether the Celtics can pass them at four or five. But um, I think he merits consideration. Pelton, who do you have on your list? So I have Bud number one. I mean, I think just the transformation of the Bucks at both ends of the court, it's not exactly the same roster as it was last season. And, you know, Brooke Lopez has been a big factor in that with his ability to protect the rim and, and stretch the floor. But, you know, still, this is the kind of single-season transformation that almost never happens in NBA history. And I think you, you have to reward Bud for his role in that. And then I have, I have Nate number two. I mean, you talked about their offense, but this is the number two defensive team in the NBA. And the only player that you would have looked at before this season and said, okay, that guy is an above-average defender for their position, I think, was Victor Oladipo, who has now been injured for an extended period of time. Miles Turner has developed nicely as a rim protector, but... You know, the, the way the Pacers have turned Boyan Bogdanovic uh, into a credible, even at times a stopper for them in the wing. I mean, he was defending LeBron in the playoffs last year. This is a guy who was one of the worst defenders in the league in Brooklyn and Washington. And that's, you know, incredible work by uh, Nate McMillan, Dan Burke, who heads up their defense, that entire coaching staff. So uh, a solid number two. And, and like Kevin, I'm going to probably wait on the uh, third spot of my ballot to settle out. 
Yeah. Yeah. I, mean, I, I feel like I, I need to qualify this. I mean, I, I, I had Nate number two last year on my official ballot behind uh, Dwayne Casey. Um, so I, I kind of feel like I've, I've extended the credit for this group. Um, perhaps I need to give him another look this season on, on the ballot. Um, I, I just well, think it's really hard. I have a real soft spot for absolute teams that are supposed to be just wretched who are coached into respectability. As much as well, I have, for sort of the guy. I, I think I think Bud is a is a really strong choice. Uh, well, yeah, absolutely. He's really, uh, he's really unlucky. Um, by the way, as a real quick, uh, I wouldn't have known this if I hadn't just looked it up. So in in the month of February, which it just happens to coincide with the Pacers' run of really good play, they lost four in a row right after Oladipo got hurt. And now they've gone eight and two. It started on February first. So I'm not just picking out. I'm not cherry picking. But in the month of February. The Pacers are the number two defensive team in the league. Kevin Pelton, who is the number one defensive team in February? I was pretty surprised by it. The number one defensive team in February. Kevin Arnold. I got nothing. I would guess. Let me see here. I mean, I would say Milwaukee. Milwaukee would be... Milwaukee would be one of my. I believe Milwaukee's three. Milwaukee's three. Milwaukee's three. Is it Detroit? I mean, Utah? Magic? Well, I th- you know who's had a good month is the Orlando Magic wow. have had a good month. Does the defense have anything to do with it? Yeah. Yeah. They are uh, number one defense in the, in the league for the month. Um, really? They can run towards. They had a miserable home loss over the weekend to the Bulls. Uh, <laughs> that uh, I know the Bulls have been playing better, but that was. Um, Levine and Marketing are really revving up, but um, <laughs> uh, yeah, so the Orlando Magic, but that will be discussed for a later time. Um, this has been large sample size theater. Andrew Hahn, were you pleased with how this went? Uh, it was good until you said one more thing twice, uh, I believe. <laughs> uh, Orlando Magic, right? and then I ended with the Orlando Magic reference. All right, well, Kevin, enjoy Celtics Raptors tonight. Uh, Pelton, enjoy uh, your trip to Sloan, your second trip to the East Coast in the month, because I know you came to uh, to Charlotte. By the way, in a in a pure Peltonian move, uh, Kevin Arnovitz, um, when Pelton came to Charlotte, he didn't actually come to Charlotte. Instead, he went to Charleston, South Carolina, to watch a college game on his way to the All Star Weekend. You went to the College of Charleston. I, I sure did. Although, admittedly, the uh, the trip to Charleston was more. Did you enjoy about, my food uh, recommendations? I the Hominy Grill was terrific. It, Thank I you. Definitely did. Get Great it. place. Old favorite, and yeah. the barbecue was fantastic. I'm assuming as well. The the Lewis barbecue was the best barbecue I've ever had in my life. So that it was well worth it. Don't sleep on Charles. Day. Uh, thank you for listening to the Hoop Collective podcast. We will talk to you again later in the week. 